Hello and welcome. My name is Tanai and I help women become confident with themselves and their sexuality and shed the pressure to be the good girl. For the past 10 years, I've worked with all kinds of sex and relationship experts to heal what I thought was commitment phobia, only to find out that there's actually no such thing. This podcast is my opportunity to debunk commitment phobia, so drop all of your preconceived notions and tune in to hear what I've learned along my journey about what it takes for people to create authentic and intimate connections. This is Commitment Phobe. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Commitment Phobe. Today, who I have with me is Orin Shai, a friend that I met in Guatemala while I was traveling, and it was so serendipitous. Like, it could have not been more divine. Um, I really need you guys to know how we met because it was so crazy. <laughs> um, while I was in Guatemala, I was um, literally just for one night at a hostel before making it to another city so that I could find Wi-Fi. We were in a city that, in an area that had a very poor Wi-Fi. And as I'm waiting for a shuttle to take me to the other city, Oren comes up to me and just starts talking to me. I don't even know why. But it leads to us talking about the lack of Wi-Fi and how he um, is also a coach. And he invited me to use the Wi-Fi at the place that he was staying the next week. And then we just kept in touch through Instagram. And then one day I showed up at that place that he offered and said, hi. <laughs> <laughs> and that started an insanely beautiful relationship. Um, we've learned so much from each other. Just yes. in, uh, in like, the, I don't know, two months that we know of each other. So I'm super excited to, sh- to be able to have my listeners, have you guys listen to the wisdom that I've been able to receive from Warren. So thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having me. And I will say also that as you were describing that moment when we met, I actually remember, I don't know if I've shared this with you, but I remember I was eating my fruit bowl or something in the morning and I see across the way, someone just going and like looking into the plants and kind of like dance walking, clearly like a lot of joy. And I was like, okay, if she ever sits down in one spot, I'm going to go talk to her. <laughs> And that's what I did. It's hilarious because that is so classic of like, I'm a very moving, talking, like up and down, agitated energy. And you're just like, slow. Mm. Yeah. So that's, I love that. That's hilarious. <laughs> so will you tell um, everybody what you do as a coach, what you do as a human? Yeah. What, what do you do with, um, with leaders? Yes. So my, my work is centered on bringing about a new model of leadership that the world just needs right now. And so I've been for for around a decade, I've worked in different roles in people development. So for a long time in tech, so working within tech companies and helping develop leaders within those organizations. And after leaving the kind of corporate space, I began to explore more of what is it that brings people, if we really get to the root of it, what is it that brings people to work with me in my one-on-one coaching work and in some of the deeper engagements that that I run? And this realization that it really all comes down to, there is a part of me that I have not been expressing. I am not expressing the fullness of who I am. I'm not feeling fully alive in my day-to-day. And 
I might be really successful by any number of metrics that we like to gauge success by. But there's something within me that's just not alive. And that's what's, what has led me to develop and sort of codify this approach that I've developed through my coaching work over, over the years and through the facilitation work that I refer to as enlivened leadership. So this is exploring what is my expression of leading in the world. And that could be leading people. It could be leading a movement. It could be leading within my family or my community. But what is that expression of alive action in the world from a place of center? What is a place of center? <laughs> well, this is where, and we can start, we can, we can get more. Yeah, yeah, start now, but, um, but this is where it gets into that. As, as you know, we've, we talked a bit about this somatic aspect to this work and, and where this leadership development work and this really in general, this personal development work looks a bit different from some of the other things that we typically experience, especially in the business environment but also in, in therapeutic environments is that it's very much body-based and it's very much about cultivating our awareness, not just of our mindset in our heads, but also of what is the world of emotion and movement of energy and just range of experience that exists within us, in our bodies, in our tissues. So there's more and more of an awareness now in, especially in the trauma space that these experiences and the associated physiological reactions take root in our bodies, in our tissues. And whether it's big T trauma or smaller T trauma, just the stress of moving through life, these things become stagnation in the body and can stand in the way of us really developing the depths of our awareness and our presence that support us in sensing our center. And so really what center is about is, is finding that place. I've had clients refer to it as, oh, this is my internal ability to support myself. Wow. Or I've had clients describe it as, okay, I feel this feeling of home and joy and sufficiency within me. So it's this place we come back to that we know and we learn to sense into to actually feel is always there. And what we eventually learn is when we are taking action from a place that is off center and how to come back to center and to feel the difference. That is so powerful. How, how can you show that in an example? Like, can you, can you tell us maybe what that looks like in, in a situation with one of your clients? Or a situation in relationships. Yeah, I mean, I like to bring it when it comes to examples. I always like to bring it back to the really just physical, something you can see in your day to day. So, if anybody has lifted weights before, many of us have had this experience. Even if we've done yoga before, you know how it feels different in your body, and what you're able to do is different when you have a solid connection to the ground. So if you're trying to go and like hit a new PR or lift something, lift a weight that you haven't lifted before, or you know how your body automatically, pay attention next time. So 
what your body is doing, what your feet are doing as you're getting ready to lift. You kind of shift your feet on the ground. Maybe you tuck the tailbone. Maybe you engage the core. You're bringing your energy down and in to the body. There is talk now in, in the athletic world around the corset and what it means to engage and bring in your whole core and how that makes you uh, connected to where your power center is. So whether you're swinging a golf club or a tennis racket or whatever it is that you're doing, this coming back to center is basically just taking the awareness of that experience into a more subtle level. So when we're feeling ourselves get ready to lift that heavy weight or get ready to make that swing, if we were to theoretically pause in that moment before we do it and breathe into the body and feel into the center that is that all the musculature is engaging around, we can start to sense and get into the physiological sensation of center. And when we learn through somatic practices, to access that space without necessarily engaging all of our musculature, but just to create that reference point. That's essentially what we're doing, where in any moment, if we're getting ready to enter into a difficult conversation with someone or to jump onto a podcast episode or whatever it is that we're doing, we have that ability, just like we're about to lift a weight, to bring our awareness in just like we bring that musculature and that engagement in towards center. That's so powerful. You know, it just, as I'm hearing you talk, it it makes me think of how for me, the fear of intimacy always manifested itself physically first. It was always about how uncomfortable I'd started to feel and how there was just something off within me and I couldn't explain it. And it's, it's not until now that I'm aware, I'm, I'm aware of, of, my the experience my body or my nervous system is going through and like we've had conversations that have definitely helped that is that I realize wow like there's something here that I could actually change or access that's going to give me information to how to feel safer in this conversation or around this person mm-hmm. and without words or anything and that's the the power of the connection at the felt level of the felt sense and learning how to communicate internally with yourself, without words. Words and affirmation are, of course, so powerful and can be so supportive. And when we learn, what is that internal language? In somatic work, we often refer to this as interoception, this ability to perceive what's happening internally. We learn what are the different flavors of our experience so that we can determine when am I perhaps a bit triggered and what are the different flavors of trigger that I know really well in my body. And when we can get to know that at the level, that's kind of beneath the story. Oh, this is because that thing happened to me and my friend did this or my parents said that, no, this is actually a, a feeling that may very well be associated to some of those experiences may have kind of taken shape within us as a result of a combination of experiences. But when we get to know and learn to find that sense of center and support, one of the things we do that really is 
one of the core benefits of this work is we learn that we have the ability to hold that experience. We learn that we have the full resource within us to hold and be with any amount of trigger. Wow. I want to I wanna ask you how you got into this, but since you're speaking about this in particular, um, can you speak on a time in your relationships where you experienced that, where, where you, you notice that shift where you can hold all the triggers? What did that look like? Yes. And uh, what, it's, what the question is bringing up that maybe we can come back to is, is I was immediately brought back to instances in which part of it was, yes, holding and being with and allowing myself to just fully experience the trigger. And part of it was also recognizing what's my trigger and what's hers or what's theirs. Yeah. So, so let's get through it all. So actually, I'd actually like for you to start with, like, why do you think that's not the message we're getting about holding? Like, why, why do you think the message isn't, you can actually hold all this emotion and you're going to be okay? It's a good question. I think in part, it can be hard to believe for one. Secondly, it makes you less reliant upon anybody else, <laughs> less reliant upon a, a therapist or an outside force of any kind. And um, while, of course, therapy is incredibly important as is coaching and all the different supportive modalities, we and we talk about in Enlivened Leadership, we talk about this move from external orientation to an internal orientation. And really what we're getting into there is the this distinction between how we can basically outsource a sense of groundedness, stability, resourcefulness to, and we learn, this is what we're taught, is to outsource this to all kinds of different parties externally. So we're, we learn, we start to feel a little bit off, we go and ask the doctor what's going on. We learn, we start to have troubles in, you know, an academic area in our lives. And so we go and we see the counselor and that's, it's great to have these resources. And when we take ownership and learn to step into this internal, this communication within ourselves and this sourcing within ourselves of the sense of center and groundedness, we can then engage in that work and engage in that kind of co-creative support with outside individuals and groups with a greater awareness of what is possible for us and a greater awareness of what is actually my experience going back to the moment ago, what is actually my experience and what is it that I have kind of begun to identify with that is actually not within me. What is a story that I've just gotten to know and have been have practiced so many times speaking to you as part yeah, of Yeah, so, so well, like on a more practical level, what does that look like? And, and maybe you could use your own life to, uh, to share what that's looked like for you. Yeah, so moving from the external to the internal and connecting with that, that and understanding that difference and, and building that discernment is in large part about cultivating the practices that support you in bringing your energy in and and connecting with your inner physiological experience, meaning 
what are the what are the practices that you have found support you in feeling a sense of of sense of groundedness a sense of power a sense of being resourced so for example this is a lot of my my friends who i remember doing te- yoga teacher training a lot of us the reason we wanted to explore yoga more more deeply and the asana practice is because there was something about that feeling after the practice where we felt more like ourselves. We felt clear. We had done an hour or 90 minutes plus of breathing and movement, and we were just there with ourselves in that way. So for some of us, some example practices, just to get practice, uh, more practical, things like breath work, certain more meditative styles of movement. There are endless practices from Tai Chi to Qigong to yoga to, um, you know, contemplative dance and really dance that's encouraged, that's, that supports you in connecting with yourself and really being internally oriented that just give us the space to connect and go inward through our breath and into this internal sensing of where we're moving from. So and so we yeah, are in our way. These are, these are exercises that connect you to yourself and make you aware of yourself and also kind of come from, come from a place where you're not looking outward to feel that sense of, Oh, this is me. I feel good. Like, I feel like I'm back home. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So the movement is originating from inside as opposed to, you know, some kind of group, sport where we're constantly needing to be aware of what's happening outside of us, which is also great for developing a certain skill set. But this is about just like, you know, if you've practiced yoga or going back to the weightlifting example, if your awareness and attention is outside of your body, you're going to fall over or you're not going to get the weight up. Presence and your awareness being with you in your space, in your body. And practicing that and coming back to that practice on a daily basis, that's what cultivates our ability to go into some of these deeper levels of interoception and awareness. Yeah. So what I'm hearing is that something that that's really missing, you know, I asked you earlier um, about that not being the norm or that not being the message. And I could see that's something that's really missing in culture, like in our culture in general, at least the Western culture is that that being part of a practice for everybody, putting that emphasis on, on finding your way of connecting to self and connecting to that centered and self-awareness. Yeah. Yeah. And the thing I'd, I'd add just to uh, kind of bring it down to, if we really want to get real yeah. about cultivating that level of presence and awareness, a stillness practice being the key. So having a med- practice of meditation and not like I'm meditating when I'm doing my yoga or meditating when I'm lifting or I'm running, but actual meditation and stillness. This, these two practices of that internally uh, originated movement and the stillness, these practices go in tandem. And there's, so there's a reason why martial artists not only practice their movements, but they also practice seated meditation. Look at just about any martial art. These two things are complementary. So I want to just emphasize that because in our go, go, go 
culture that yeah. that really you know encourages something that outwardly you can see you're doing something and is a little bit averse to sitting still recognizing that these are two sides of the same coin right yeah what it, what it makes me think of is in relationships when there's a fight maybe for a lot of people to go to is how do I fix this? How do we resolve? How do we come to, you know, how do we come to see eye to eye? How do we say for like, how do we forgive each other? <laughs> so there is that running to how do we fix this? Um, and not so much the holding of what's happening, being with that discomfort, being with the tension. Mm -hmm. So yeah, where does one, wh where does that look like when you start having that um, inner awareness and connection? Yeah, for starters, learning to be in the quiet without words, without talking. This is such a, and this is in relationships of, of all kinds, really. When we can learn to allow a bit more space and part of that capacity grows when we have our stillness practice, when we can learn to hold by having that internal sense to hold our own upset, we can then become more powerful holders of others and their upset without needing to rush and fix it. And it's really incredible, and you know this as a coach, what can happen when all we're doing is holding that container, is holding that space. What can happen? Because... <laughs> Yeah, because it's such a rare experience for so many of us to be with somebody who's there, who's there, grounded, just holding it without needing to put anything else into the space. And so to answer your question, what can happen there is that then that, that person who you care so deeply about and you just want to help, what they're able to do is access they have an opportunity to access more of their own resource and wisdom that just takes a little bit more space to arise. It's not unlike when you go and you sit and you meditate. Yeah. Like what, what does that yeah. look like? Give me, give me an example. Yeah. That looks like when you're, your experience, you're going back to like that, that moment, that flash before my, my eyes, when you gave, when you asked me a question earlier about, about relationship. Yeah. When that in that moment, when your partner or this person you're in relationship with, when they're clearly upset, when they're clearly triggered, when there's not a kind of fertile ground for a conversation at that point, there's just too, there's a lot of emotion moving, or there are things that are, that just either need to be expressed or just need to be felt and processed. That looks like being with that person, connecting with your center, and breathing, looking them, at them in the eyes, showing them with non-verbally that you're there and you're grounded and you're not going anywhere. Right, because that's what we're all afraid of in the end, right? We're afraid of, I show you this, then you're not, you're, you won't be there. You're going to leave me. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I know this is that, that masculine yeah. quality of holding. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. In a way it sounds like you're giving the other person the message that 
they can be in their feelings and, and that's perfectly lovable because that's the opposite of what we interpret as kids. Right? We're, we're, we're throwing a tantrum and they tell us to go to our rooms or they we're crying and they tell us to stop crying. Yep, exactly. And we learn through our conditioning, either when somebody's going through it around us, we shut down, we dissociate or we get out of there either mentally, emotionally, or physically, or we match their experience to show that we care mm. and to show that we're in it with them. And this is an experience where we are centering in our grounded state, showing that we don't need to leave. We don't need to change the truth of our experience. We can just be here with whatever experience the other person is having and demonstrate through our presence and through the depth of attention that we are offering and the way we are there in a stable manner that whatever process they need to move through, we're there for it. Wow. You know, it's wild. It sounds to me like the total opposite of codependency. (laughs) (laughs) you know it's like all um the message of of, you know being in in a partnership that's healthy is is being is is like supporting each other's growth like everyone like each person has their own journey and you're just supporting each other and the way you word it is such a beautiful representation of that it's not saying i'm gonna help you feel better or i'm gonna help you get out of your problems or i'm gonna help you you know da 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 it's just, I'm going to hold space for you so you feel like you're okay in whatever it is that you're going through. You're still lovable. I'm still here. And you got this. Like In my presence, you will be able to rely on yourself. Yes, exactly to your point around codependency. The, the difference, you can see such a clear difference of where am I coming from when I am seeking to get this person out of the state that they're in? I might tell myself, I just want to help you and I want... I want you to feel better. But where am I actually coming from? In most situations that we see out there, I'm coming from being really uncomfortable with you being in that situation because I feel triggered by you being triggered versus coming from center, (laughs) coming from this connection, this awareness that I've been practicing holding my experience and being with my own trigger. I got this. I know how to be with this stuff. So whatever you're experiencing, this is such a such a gift that we've got one of two people triggered right now. That means the other person can be in their grounded resource state and hold the space for the other person's trigger. Oof, that is powerful. That's crazy. That's just like a whole new standard of relationships, like relationship 2.0. Yeah. And we don't need to, we don't need to pack anything. The other person doesn't need to pack anything away, hold anything back. You know, this is. Because in that it's even like, okay, so, so I know you're going to get triggered by my trigger. So I'm going to hold back from triggering you so that it it just becomes this cycle of like, I don't want to be too much. I don't want to trigger you. So I'm going to hold back on my trigger. And we've all been in that relationship where it's like, Something random and seemingly totally run of the mill happens and the person explodes. Right. Why? (laughs) Because they've been packing it away for a while. Yeah. 
until it can't be held in anymore. Mm-hmm. So how did you get into this work? Was it something that you got into um, professionally at first? Or was it something that you were working on in yourself and your personal relationships? Everything I bring to my work professionally starts with my own personal experience. So while I had been working in people development in different capacities for, for years, these strategies and these approaches that are rooted in, in the body and cultivating that awareness in developing the depth of our presence through both physical and more subtle and still practices. These are all things that I, that just were supportive for me. And I began to bring into my work after having experienced them firsthand. And through that additional experience of experiencing others, learn to adopt some of these practices and learn to apply them in their lives. It's amazing what happens in terms of the the feedback loop that's created, where when we, and this goes for whether you're a practitioner or, or not, when we practice these things and embody them, that's why we refer to these somatic practices as embodiments. When we understand it, not only in our minds, but in our bodies and have the continuity of practice, what begins to happen is that people sense the difference within us and they get curious about it. So what happened in my work was actually yeah, clients so, asking for it. Like, yeah, yeah. Bringing it back to you, like, what, what, what did that really look like? What, what were you doing in your life? Where did you go from to that you were like, hey, this is something? Went from, you know, the the classic. Well, I've always been more on the calm side. It was I always have had a lot of intensity, and for a long time that intensity was held in. So the classic working in New York City. I was, you know, doing the thing, the young professional thing where you're working really hard and you go and work out really hard and then you go out and living that life where you're burning the candle at both ends and looking on the outside, like cool as a cucumber. And what began to shift was when I started to recognize through some of the energy work I was doing, through some of the coaching work I was doing how much was built up, like all the stores of unexpressed anger and frustration and uh, the things that I had learned to keep packing away because I had seen uh, less conscious models of how to express all these natural things to express. What I started to recognize was how what I had done through this process is totally disconnect from any emotionality and any feeling. And so what I would recognize in my, in my relationships was the way in which I could only be so present because the way I was holding space for my partner was on the surface, really supportive, but actually I wasn't able to connect with their experience enough to be with them on a deeper level because I wasn't letting myself feel those things. Wow. From, I always ask, I always ask when it, when it's like my friends from zero to commitment phobe, like, where were you on the scale? Were you the type to <laughs> like stick through it until there was literally nothing, I don't know, juice left to squeeze? 
or were you the, the one to run away more? That's an interesting question. I have to reflect on that for a moment. I think I was the one to know fairly early on when there was misalignment, but to stick with it until that misalignment manifested as all kinds of relationship problems. Yeah. It's interesting you say that because I was just going to ask you, you know, you knew you were very aware of energy from very early on. So I'm guessing that's what you mean, right? Like you sort of felt like an energy shift or something's off. Yeah. I, I would feel the, that energy shift in the sense of like, I would feel the misalignment around where we were as people or what it, what it was that we really valued or were looking for in our relationship. I would feel that really early on, even before these kinds of things needed to be expressed. And we were having those kinds of conversations about kind of a longer term vision and, and getting some of that alignment. But I would, I had the story of basically kind of over compensating for that, that impetus to get out of it. I had the story of, no, no, if I'm, if I'm like really the, the, the rock that I've known myself to be, that means I can't say at this point that this isn't right because that would be a cop out. Like that's, that's not who I am. I'm the one who, when I make a commitment, I'm, I'm in it. And so it wouldn't be until that became something that my partner would start to feel. They would start to sense that, oh, we, we actually might not want the same things. And they would start to be triggered by it. That then I would have to kind of face the music and have that conversation. And that would probably be that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so like you smiled at me and like, yep, that was it. What is, what do you notice now in the way that you, um, that you speak to partners or anything like that represents, cause you know, it's like, even, even I've gotten to work through friendships, what I feel like I used to deal with in relationships. So where do you see some differences now in how you show up in, in those first moments where you're noticing that something's misaligned? I always going back to our, our earlier conversation, I'm, I'm always bringing it back to what my experiences in my body and checking in before I go into story mode, or sometimes I've kind of like started going down the path of story and I recognize it and I come back using some of the tools of somatic work and coming back to center. And then I'm basically exploring, okay, what is my internal state right now? And what we start, I mentioned the different flavors of our, of our states earlier. You start to learn we start to learn like, what is my, when I'm triggered in this relationship, what that feels like. And we start to be able to, we develop the capacity to, to be aware of that where very, very quickly we recognize when we're getting triggered before we're actually fully there. And then we have the ability to say, okay, I really like, I'm about to say something to this person, I feel myself in a place of trigger or getting triggered. Let me leverage the tools I have of, of taking a breath, 
of taking some space and coming back, of giving myself what I need. And we learn what we need when we experience these different internal states and resourcing myself so that I can take action from center, not from this place of trigger. Wow. It's, it's just a different way of looking at it because, you know, I, I, I think when, when we're getting triggered by someone, the go-to for a lot of people is thinking, oh, they probably didn't mean to, oh, let me think about something else. Oh, and it's like very mental. And, um, and it's not, yeah, it's the complete opposite of being like, okay, where do I feel that in my body? What do I need? How do I take care of that? Then how do I, um, how do I show up in the situation from a totally different place where I've already taken care of that? Right. Yeah. There's a level of implicit responsibility where if I'm triggered, I know that's my responsibility. The fact that somebody said something and I didn't like it is not their fault. They might be doing something that I need to have a conversation with them around. But for me to go and yell at them or be passive aggressive or escape the situation may or may not actually be my highest expression here. Yeah, my highest expression. I love that. So like, how have you shown up now when you get triggered? What does that look like? That looks like I have a lot of recent examples of that. As you know, I recently helped my my mom move. Yeah. <laughs> so that was a process of moving through a lot of triggers. And with moms. Yeah, with the parental. And this was basically a continuous, you know, recognition of what that feels like when, you know, I'm feeling like there's all this kind of stress being thrown my way and where my habitual pattern that I used growing up was to either throw stress right back, totally like deny, like in order to deny that stress, be like, I'm going to throw this right back in your face or to be silent and just be the punching bag. And learning to get better acquainted with what's underneath this story of tension with the parent and tension in these moments of stress and learning how it feels when I'm tempted to take one of those two paths. So I started to pay attention to when I wanted to raise my voice or when I wanted to totally shut down and just take my awareness totally out of the situation, especially on a long car ride. <laughs> this was an opportunity for me to learn and start to get more intimately aware of, okay, where am I feeling in my body? Some of this constriction and contraction happening. Let me breathe into that. And instead of trying to move away from that, let me breathe into it and feel with even more, I call this with my clients, feeling it in higher resolution feeling even more, a more vivid picture of what that is, what that feels like, what temperature it is, what texture it has, where it moves through my body. And what ends up happening, and this is, I believe, with our parents, one of the more, more challenging contexts of this, of this learning. But what eventually happens is we learn how to give that part of ourselves some of that support we talked about to show that part of ourselves some compassion to allow it the space to feel what it's feeling 
And we feel some of that contraction start to release. The grip starts to release. The energy starts to move. And suddenly, I don't feel compelled to yell or to run away. Wow. Yeah. How What I'm hearing is how powerful it is to just have the permission for that part to feel exactly what it's feeling to um, manifest itself the, the way that it is. And then from then on, if you can do that for yourself, you can do that for another. That's incredible. Yeah. These are all just parts of ourselves that want to communicate with us. You know, we've learned to have this just confrontational relationship with our emotional experiences and our, these energetic experiences we have in our bodies. It's all just communication. These are all just messages, signals. All they want is a platform to speak. So would you say that as opposed to looking for a way to feel better, it's really just about how do I give that part a microphone? How do I allow it to just express what it's feeling? Yeah. And, and not so much, how do I make it feel better? Yeah. How do we bring some curiosity to it? I love that. It's just so much, it's so light and it's so, um, it's so slow. Mm-hmm. Yes. You know, it's so slow, which I know is, is like something that I really learned a lot from you is, is how to, you know, step back, take a breath and say, okay, what's there? And like you said, like, what color is it? How does it feel? Um, what does it want? What does it need? What does it say? It's such a longer process than actually scrambling and trying to feel better. Yes. And in the beginning of this work, typically what happens is the stories pop up because we're so used to making sense of things. And sense-making is one of the number one things that gets in the way of us building this depth of awareness. Because it's so tempting to say, oh, that feeling, that's because of this thing, this experience I've had. Yeah, what happens when when the sense-making comes in? What's the impact? So the impact of when we go into sense-making mode is that we're just bringing our attention away from what's actually happening in the present moment. What we're actually feeling in the body is what's really happening now. The story is not happening now. It either happened or we're anticipating it's going to happen. Wow. So in a way, would you say that sense-making is a way to not deal with what's happening in the moment? Like it's a way to escape the feeling, the discomfort? It's the way we've learned to to deal with really all kinds of our, our experiences is to go right into, oh, it's because that happened or, oh, I'm feeling this because I'm worried about that happening. Let me go do something to avoid that happening in the future. Right. We're taking yes. ourselves out of the present. I know what's happening, then I can have a plan and then I'm in control and I no longer feel like I'm powerless in the situation. Exactly. All about control. That's the other move we work on in our, in our uh, program is from controlling to connected relating. So relating to ourselves, to others, to our environments, instead of from a place of control, as we learn, just got to have the right plan. Just go to the right school, do everything the right way, and then you'll be okay. To instead relate from a place of connection and starting with that connection within ourselves. And then we can hold space with others from a place of, seeking to connect rather than to control. And then we can look at taking action in the world and making our impact in the world, seeking to create more connection rather than to control the world around us. That's incredible. 
It makes me think of just like everything, like all the fires that are happening, climate change, you know, all the things that I can, I personally can get myself into like a black hole about and like, and and it's like, and it's coming from a control. Like, how do I control this? How do I, how do I eradicate this? How do I stop this? <laughs> yeah. And, um, and I know we were talking about this in, in Guatemala where we were seeing a lot of, um, a lot of nature covered in, in garbage. You know, we were talking about this then and how important it is to allow ourselves to feel the pain of that, which, which is what I'm hearing and what you're saying, like be with the pain and the, the discomfort that's coming up as opposed to like going to the head and saying, okay, I need to think of like, I need to think of this as a problem that needs to be fixed. And then I can feel you know, in some, in some way in control and not like lost and like the world's going to end and I'm, I can't do anything about it. Yeah. I need, to, I need to develop this innovative new technology that's going to be able to clean up all the trash from all these different places, which of course, like these solutions are important. And what we're talking about here is making sure that we're coming to, to that solution and to that creativity from a place of connectedness rather than from a place of control, which is I need to isolate this problem and fix this problem, which is totally disconnected from our reality that is entirely interrelated. And so we're applying the same consciousness and perspective that got us into this mess, trying to get us out of it. Yeah. Wow. Huge. That's a very um, different, absolutely different way of, of perceiving things. Yeah. And, um, and I just want to acknowledge you for, for doing what you do and, and bringing this new sense of awareness and this new like school of thought, even though it's opposite of thinking, but yeah, just this new way of being, I think it's so powerful. And I think it's the new way of, of us connecting to each other and, um, and coming from a place of love and, and empowerment. So I really acknowledge you and, um, and, with that, how can how can my listeners connect to you and learn about what you're doing or work with you? Um, in what context are you working with people right now? So right now, a, a couple of different ways, and, and thank you. <laughs> and this is what's what's so beautiful about this this exploration that we're in around this depth of awareness is that yeah, it's it's new, but it's also not new at all. And this is really so much of it is is an unpacking and unlearning, coming back to ourselves. And that's what's so fun about it is that we actually don't need any new models. We don't need any new uh, kind of modalities out there as long as we have our own practice that works for us of coming back to ourselves. So that being said, if you do want to <laughs> work with somebody else and just get a leg up on this, this kind of work um, and just explore it in deeper detail, you can check out my website, which is Oren is, so Oren.is. Uh, or you can find me on Instagram, uh, or shy underscore is my, is my handle there. And really what I would love to just leave people with around this idea of deepening our presence and cultivating that awareness. And we, we offer, uh, this presence foundations experience of going in depth in practice within community to learn some of the practices that support this and to see and experience the way other people are moving through this progression of moving from the head into the heart, into the 
depths of our bodies. Whatever way you choose to explore this, I encourage you to explore it within some form of community with others in some way. Because there is no replacement for shared experience with others. And we know this through our experiences that each and every one of us have in relationship of all forms throughout our lives. That's where the real learning happens. That's where the real joy is. And that's where the real growth and evolution happens because that's what we're here to be is in relationship. Mm. And I completely, completely concur. Um, so thank you for that beautiful message. Definitely something the world needs to hear. So thank you. And thank you so much for your time and your presence. This was such a beautiful conversation. I'd love uh, for my listeners to let me know what you think and if you have any questions. And um, yeah. Thank you. Thank you so much for tuning in and listening to this episode of Commitment Phobe. If this episode left an impact on you, please share with friends, family, loved ones, ex-lovers, the people in your life who you think would benefit from listening to these conversations. If you're curious about the kind of work that I do as an intuitive coach, head on over to my website, www.tanaimelgram.com, where you can learn more about what I do with my one-on-one coaching clients, group coaching programs, and you can set up a discovery call with me to see how I can be of support to you. You could also follow me on Instagram on my handle at Tanai Milgram. I'm always posting content about what I'm up to and new insights, new learnings that I'm getting along my journey. And please head over to iTunes and leave a five-star review if you like what you heard. So together we can start changing the conversation we're having about intimacy and commitments. Thanks again for tuning in and I'll see you next week.